Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Boom! What's up, Harbor Church? How we doing? All right, a few people awake and with me. Welcome. So glad that you're here. Thanks for coming out. If you're watching us online, maybe you're checking us out on YouTube or Facebook or you're listening to this on the podcast, or maybe you're in the room with me here right now and this is your first time or your first time in a long time. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church. Um, I'm thrilled that you're with us because we're jumping into a new series As my wife just said, um, we finished up The Art of Unordinary. That was a five-week study that we did, just asking God to break the mold in our life of how we look at the world around us and what God might have for us. And so as we, and I've never done this before where two series are built off of each other. I always just do a series and a different series, and they kind of like, they kind of stand alone. And the, the goal would be that every message in and of itself stands alone. God's word won't return void. So I believe no, no matter where you're at, you can pick in or jump into this. But if you were here for the last series where we talked about how God might be calling you to do something unordinary with your life, I believe the more you lean into that, the more the, the soil of your heart is being tilled up and ready to hear what the Holy Spirit might have for you in terms of a kingdom logic, a way of looking at the kingdom of God, what it is he is wanting to do here and now through our church and through you individually. As the pastor of Harbor, it's my responsibility not to be the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, but I'm the under shepherd under him. And I've been asking God what he would have for our church to do next. Two weeks ago, we celebrated our five-year anniversary, which is incredibly exciting. And uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. When we planted Harbor, they said, hey, make your five-year plan and like present that. And, and all of the churches at the time, they were, you know, the average church in New England is running about, about 50 people. And so they're like, you know, sh- aim big, shoot for the stars. I was like, what if we could be a church of 75 people, you know? And like I talked to some of the, there are a few big churches in in Massachusetts. And I talked to them. I said, hey, what's that look like, you know, and how long did it take you to really grow? And um, one of the, our sending church, Grace Church out of Stoughton, they got a bunch of of campuses. Um, At year four, they hit around 75 people and that began to grow for them. And then they got to 100 at year five and then it was 200 at year six. And then they started growing like that. I mean, they're running a a couple thousand now. And I was like, well, what if God wanted to do that at Harbor? So I've made a big plan for like, God, what would it look like for us to get to 100 people by year five of Harbor's existence? And so that was how I planned it. And then we hit 100 people at our around the 9, 10 month uh, mark. And I was like, okay, God, all my plans are gone. I had no, I, th- I thought it'd take me five years to get here. And so God has greatly blessed our church like way faster. And if you don't understand something about God, just kind of present your plans and listen to him laugh. Okay. That's how he works. He's like, oh, Josh, that's a great idea. Here's what I think. And so he's always got something going on for us. And our church now, we're running, a ch- we're a church right now about almost 500 people. And I'm going, okay, God, this is really cool that you're doing this because that's abnormal for New England. Um, Yeah, I'm excited about it. But the reason I bring that up is not like some kind of like brag on us. I'm, I'm, I'm bragging on the fact that God is doing something different here. We are very abnormal uh, for our culture and for our context. And I don't believe God did that so that we can pat ourselves on the back and be like, sweet. I believe he did that because his kingdom mindset, the, the view that God has on the world around us is so much different. It's so much more than just unordinary. It's so much bigger than how we see it that I feel as your pastor that if you will lean into what it is that God might be trying to tell you in your life, think about things in a different way. Trust him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the way you think, by letting God like change your view on the world. And I think that comes through your kingdom mindset, your kingdom logic. Now, kingdom logic is backwards. It's very different. If you're going to Take notes if you're going to allow God to speak into your life. This is a six-week series that we're starting right now today. And I believe that over the next six weeks, if you will ask God, God, let me start seeing things from a kingdom uh, mindset. Let me look at the, the logic that you have. Let me see the things that you see. The intro verse is actually out of, out of Matthew and out of Luke. Both of the Gospels say the same thing, but it's, it's the idea. He goes, hey, if a man will lay down his life, if you would be willing to lay down your life, that's how you're going to save your life. But if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. What? If I try to save my life, I lose my life. But if I lose my life, I save my life. And that's, 
he's kind of making a point. This is how it works in the kingdom. The kingdom is going to be opposite of the world around you. God has got something for you that if you try to tell somebody at work or tell a family member or tell one of your classmates, they don't know about God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They're going to go, that's so backwards. The world tells us, look out for yourself. And God says, no, love God and love others more than you love yourself. It's completely different. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's meant to make you go, I, how would that ever work? And the way it works is that God is bigger than you. And you have to start trusting something besides yourself. So kingdom logic starts there. But it, what it does is it, it exposes the fact that if you, if you want to step into a kingdom mindset, having God show you what his, his plan is, the kingdom that God has, and you'll hear, you hear, you hear Jesus, if, you've, if you grew up in church, maybe you, you haven't heard this, but Jesus was teaching people how to pray. And he said, you can pray with this kind of heart. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your, thy name, or, or honored. God, we honor you. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is at the very beginning, he's going, the whole part of this is to understand that God has a kingdom and you and I want to make it ours. Now we struggle day in and day out. Start shaking your heads. Yes, sinners. We all struggle day in and day out with who's going to be king. If you want to get to the heart of what it is that Jesus taught, the thing that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God all the time. The kingdom is nigh. The kingdom is, John the Baptist was like, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, I'm out here casting out demons. You can guarantee the kingdom of God has showed up and has gotten here. And what he is trying to paint a picture of is there is a way that God wants things to operate. Sin the corruption, the, the mistakes that we've made, the bad choices we've made, the times that we've missed the mark of God's best for our life, all of that sin has brought corruption and de decay on the world and the brokenness that we see around us. That's not God's plan. The way things look around us right now, that's a byproduct of our poor choices and our rebellion against God. But God's plan, God's kingdom, the way he designed it, doesn't look like all the stuff that we see around us. And so we know that in eternity, we know that when we take our final breath, those of us that claim Jesus Christ as a personal savior, we can enter into heaven and we'll be in that kingdom for all eternity. But in the time between right now and whenever we die or whenever Jesus comes back, we have an opportunity to live like the world or to do something different with our lives. And that's a choice that each and every one of us have to make. If you're going to make that choice, if our church is going to make that choice. If our church really wants to impact our communities and our neighborhoods, we have to start thinking on a kingdom level. And a kingdom level says there can only be one king. So we're going to contrast that because what we're really going to wrestle with over the next six weeks is the kingdom mindset or the castle mindset. Now I've heard this referred this way and I didn't invent this. Somebody said it. I don't know who said it. But over and over again in the Bible, it talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the way God wants it to be. But you and I often take all of God's best and we boil it down to what's, what, what's, what's good for me, what works for me, what makes me happy. How do I get mine? You guys, it really hurts my feelings when I say these things and you guys look at me like, Pastor, you are such a sinner. I can't believe he's, he's admitting to that. Okay, that's fine. I'm rotten, but I, I often stop thinking about what God's plan is, and I think, what would make Josh happy in this moment? And that's why I give in to greed, or temptation, or lust, or anger, or frustration. You fill in the blank. Your depression, your bitterness, your lust, whatever, that's you saying, if I'm king of the world, what makes me happy? I'll take that. I would venture that your addictions that you struggle from right now is not because God said, hey, you should do that. It's because you said, this will make me happy. This will take some of my stress away. This will give me that dopamine release that I want and I crave so much. And so we say, it's not about what God wants for me. It's about what I want for me. And we begin to take in that. that that's because there can really only be one king of our life. And if we're going to understand the kingdom mindset versus the castle mindset, the kingdom mindset says God has this universe under his control, and I play a small part in bringing him glory. The castle mindset says, what can I get for me? Now, which one do you think the world promotes? 
Everything you read, everything you watch on TV, the songs you listen to, the conversations you have with your buddies on the bus or at the locker or, or at the co-workers around the water cooler, all of those things are geared around castle mindset. Do you have enough toys? Have you bought enough? Have you dated enough? Do you have a good retirement? What's your sex life like? How many things have you purchased for yourself? How, how much happiness did you get into this weekend? It's all about what can I get for my castle? And it's in direct opposition and in, in direct defiance of God's kingdom mindset. This is what it comes down to. <clears throat> You're going to have to, at some point, relinquish the throne of your life. At some point, you're going to bend the knee. The question is when. If you bend the knee right now in your life and say, God, you're more worthy than I am to sit on the throne, it's going to save you a lot, of, a lot of trouble. Because Philippians says that at the name of Jesus, one day there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every knee. It says at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That means that's coming. That's going to happen. You're going to bow the knee eventually. If not on this side of the dirt, that side of eternity, you're going to do it. So why not make it easier for yourself? Oh, pastor, I just sang. I just sang, I just sang that song, Worthy, the name of Jesus. So I sang it out loud. Yeah. <clears throat> you know you can sing and not mean it? A.W. Tozer once said, Christians don't tell lies. They just come to church and sing them. Because we can worship... And act as if though we've bended the knee, that we've, we've surrendered. You can come and sing all about how great God is. God, with, without you, I'm nothing. If you don't show up, I, I'm, I, I can't go for it. i got to have you here. I loved hearing that worship that we just sang. I loved hearing you raise your voices that way. But you can fake that. You can declare one thing standing in church. And then live a whole lot different throughout the rest of the week. God knows your heart to have a real kingdom mindset to say, God, where's your best blessings? Now understand this. God has a bullseye that he is pouring out his blessings on. And you standing in that bullseye, that's being in the will of God. The definition of sin means to miss the mark. So when you step out of the bullseye, you're like, I'm going to do my thing over here. You begin to miss out on God's best for your life. The kingdom mindset says that even if nobody else understands it, I'm going to be right here in the bullseye. And when everybody else is out there getting theirs, and when everybody else is doing the things that they're told they need to do to make themselves happy, I'm going to trust that the self-discipline it takes, I'm going to trust that the things that, that we just talked about for the last couple of weeks, the, the little habits that God is calling me to start, the attitude he's calling me to have when it comes to my enemies and my friends, the role he's calling me to play as a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, those things, although they're hard to do, I believe this is where God's best is for me. That's that kingdom mindset. That's what that means. It says, I, I, I want to do this. Well, pastor, uh, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm pretty set. You may be in a good spot and therefore not really willing to relinquish the throne of your life, but you need to understand those things are temporary. It's by God's grace that you're breathing right now. And if God has poured his blessings out on you and you have wealth and you have friends and you have popularity, awesome. That means that God knows that you you can do something with that. He's got a plan for you to leverage all that he's given you, a lot or a little. Your time, your talents, your treasure, your testimony, that's all, about, that, that's all stuff that's been given to you to give back to God. King David, and let me emphasize that, he, he was an actual king, a literal king. Some of you are like, oh, I'm the king, king of the castle, king of the castle. You're not, you're not really a king, but you may feel like it, that's fine. We all have this like, oh, I'm, I'm good with my life. David was actually a king, was actually a king. And this is what he declares. Yours, O oh Lord, this is in 1 Chronicles 29. He's, he's preparing to try to build the temple and he's gathering all these supplies. And he says, yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O oh Lord, it is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who's over all things. 
even in the Old Testament, David goes, this is your kingdom, God. As much as I am the king of all of this and all of these people bow down to me. And he, I mean, David had a huge TikTok account. His Instagram followers liked everything he put out. Like he was more popular than you are. And David's like, this is still all yours, God. And all of the money that David had and all of the things he bought for himself, he goes, no, everything I've got comes from you, God. And he, he, he leads in generosity giving back to God. The Bible says in the New Testament that David was a man after God's own heart. He understood what it meant to have a kingdom mentality. David actually had a real castle, <laughs> like an actual castle. And he had a kingdom mindset. You and I fall so short of that so often. But what I want you to understand is... <clears throat> We have a responsibility to lean in and say, okay, God, I don't know how much time I have left on this earth, but if this is about your kingdom and not about my castle, then what would you have me do? How would you have me be different? Jesus says it multiple times, and one of the more popular uh, ways that it's said, you'll find in a couple gospels, but in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You want to understand kingdom mindset? then it's all about your priorities. Where do you go first? You first, you seek his kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Now, everything else that you can think of fits right there above all else. Your pride, your happiness, your friends, your family, your health, your wealth, your popularity. You name it, the thing that is currently the God of your life should not be the God of your life. It should be his kingdom. I can tell that we're not pursuing the kingdom of God first because if we did, we would be radically generous. If we, if we were seeking the kingdom of God first, we wouldn't hold bitterness and hatred towards everybody. We would be forgiving and loving because God's kingdom come, what that looks like is that looks like what God intends for his people. Not the way that it is right now. We are so ingrained in our sin and so infiltrated by the world's mentality that if somebody cuts us off in traffic, we hate them. Probably for the rest of the ride. <laughs> and God help them if they get out of the lane and want to get back into our lane. Oh, no. <laughs> right? Am I it? Okay, good. I felt like I was on my own there. Like, how is that? How is that? In, how are we so capable of so much like that. And I'm using that as a joke. What if we went deeper into our, our families? Some of the people we haven't talked to in a long, long time. What if we went back to some of our previous workplaces? Would they say, oh man, she was just like Jesus. Man, he embodied everything I think is supposed to be true of Christ. Or did you have a castle mentality? If I interviewed the the people that are on your basketball team or sit next to you in science class or have the cubicle across the hallway from you, would they, would they give us insight that you have a kingdom mindset that's all about God's glory or would they let us know that you pretty much think about your castle? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and above all else, he'll give you everything you need. The next verse right after that says, don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. You don't hear that verse a lot. God says, Jesus is saying, your heavenly father gets excited to give you some of the kingdom. Like, whoa, here it is. Check this out. See how much better it could be? Like God is like, oh, I hope she trusts me enough today so I can put some kingdom in her, in her path. Oh man, I hope he gets out of his way just so I can show him just a small taste of what heaven might be like. And we don't. We get so consumed with I'll step into what makes it easiest for me. In reverse, it says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong, you could substitute the phrase, those who seek their own castle. Don't you know that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not for the people that are castle builders. It's for those that are kingdom seekers. Those people that inherit that are the ones that, that don't fool themselves. They're not going to practice in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or be male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these people inherit the kingdom of God. That's not an exhaustive list, by the way. 
It's just pointing out people that pursue themselves. People that build their own castles don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just for the record, every single one of us are guilty of a lot of the things on those lists. What we're talking about is, have you had that moment, first and foremost, have you had the moment where you accepted that you're not good enough to be the God of your life and save yourself? That's salvation. Have you stepped out of being in the driver's seat enough to say, I can't take care of my eternal problem, which is salvation? Have you ever invited Jesus Christ into your life? Single most important decision you'll ever make is to trust your eternity to the God who died on a cross to cover your sins. Now, if you're in here or if you're watching or listening and you've done that, what are you doing with the rest of the time God's given you? If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a reservation. The Bible says your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have a home in heaven. What are you doing between now and when you get there to make that kingdom obvious to all the people that you have influence in or on? You're supposed to be at work right now, and I don't care if you're 8 or 80, you have an influence with the people around you, so you don't get to use your age or your maturity or how popular you are, how wise you are, how smart you are, how rich you are. None of that matters. God says, I've given you an opportunity to be kingdom-minded with the time you have here on this earth. Are you invested in something bigger than yourself? See, a kingdom mindset is going <clears> to... <throat> Uh, that kingdom logic, it's just going to re- require a, a different mindset. It's going to require a different way of looking at things. So the theme verse that we're going to use for this study, and we'll come back to this time and time again. The verse that we're going to use is how Peter was trying to speak to the church about thinking differently, about being different about it. And he says this in 1 Peter 3, verse number 8. Finally, he's... he's Spend some time talking to different people in the church, husbands, wives. And he says, finally, all of you. So guess who that includes in this room? All of us. Ready? Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. And be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. We are going to break this down as it applies to our church. And what I hope you will do is see how it applies to you individually in the weeks to come. And I'm really excited because some of the things that are about to, that are about to come in this series are real butt kickers. And I have been sweating over them for months, and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So before we just take a bite out of that, <laughs> let's just soak this up for a second. God, what do you want from me? Where, do I, where does my heart need to be in order to receive what it is you're calling me to do? As you call me to to step into this kingdom idea, this logic, this way of looking at life that doesn't make sense to anybody else, what do you want from me? And God says, first, we all have to have that same mindset. If our church is going to successfully be be that kind of example that says this is what the kingdom of God should be like, if we're going to do that, we need to be on the same page. We all need to be together in one mind. And I'll talk about that mindset here in a second. But then that leads us to having a sympathy to sympathize with each other, to love, to be selfless. So we're working together. There's, there's a selflessness. There's a, a generosity. There's a compassion. And then it ends with, and a humble attitude. There's a teachability to us to say, God, what do you want to do different? How would you, how would you, how would you change the way I'm thinking? So the humility, your willingness, your willingness to admit that maybe the way you look at life right now and some of you, you're like, I've made up, I've got my worldview, I've got my opinion. If you would be humble enough right now in this moment to simply just open your heart between you and God and say, God, show me something that I don't know. Teach me something that I've, I've, never, I've never really understand. Make a light bulb go off in my heart. I believe he will. And if you're going to be humble, if you're going to be teachable, I think God's going to show you something either tonight or this weekend or throughout this series. But it'll, it'll, it'll require us to be unified, sympathetic, loving, tender, and humble. Under that, let me show you, just to kind of launch us into what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. Let me use a story 
of a miracle that Jesus performed. And Jesus had a lot of miracles, and some of them get a lot of attention, feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves, walking on water. And some of them, a lot of people just kind of blend together. There were several times Jesus healed lepers, and several times that Jesus cast out demons, and several times where Jesus healed a blind man. One of them takes place in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is traveling, and he's on his, he, his one of his two trips to, Jer- to Jericho. It says, as he's outside Jericho on his way there, it says, as Jesus is in verse 35 of Luke chapter 18, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked, hey guys, what's going on? He can't see. He just hears. And he goes, man, something's different. There's a commotion. People are excited. Hey, 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 hey. He's trying to grab. He's trying to, anybody that walks by, hey, 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 stop, stop, stop. What's going on? What's going on? I, why are you guys all, why, what's all the hustle and bustle? What's all the noise about? He says, they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, that weird rabbi guy who's doing all this cool stuff, the guy who says he's the Messiah, this guy who claims to be the son of God is bringing people back from the dead, is casting out demons, is healing leprosy, is preaching all about this kingdom thing that we have to be aware of. He's walking by. And the beggar hears. He hears that Jesus was going by. And so this is his response. He began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus! I don't even know if he knows which way to yell. He just hears that the crowd's generally over there. So in, his, in the darkness, he just yells into the dark, Jesus! Jesus! Son of David! He doesn't even know if he's in, in, in the right direction, but he's going to do everything he can to be heard. To have, have Jesus take a little pity on him. And he's so loud that it says in the next verse, be quiet, the people in front of him yelled. Hey, shut up. Nobody wants to hear you whining. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He needs to see me. And I'm sure they weren't helping him out. I'm sure they're standing in front of him. They're blocking him. Hey, you shut up. Hey, Jesus. What's up, Jesus? What's up? Shut up. Shut up. You're killing it. The response from him, but he only shouted louder. Son of David! This is him proclaiming Jesus' kingship. See, David was the greatest king that Israel ever had, and Jesus was in the lineage of David, and him claiming Jesus' lineage is the same way as him proclaiming, Hey, king! I'm not good enough to be king. You are, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. In verse 40, when Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he ordered that the man be brought to him. And as, they, as the man came near, Jesus asked him, All right, dude, you've been yelling. I heard you yelling. heard you yelling. Jesus, 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 have mercy. Okay, dude, what do you want? What do you want, bro? The whole entourage stops. The whole crowd stops. She's like, stop, put on the brakes. And there's everyone. Help me, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. Help. Shh, shh, shh. That guy, the guy that was yelling for me, that blind guy over there, bring him over here. You can almost see the crowd parting and the blind guy getting led in, stumbling. They're probably impatient with him, probably annoyed with him. This guy's taking up one of my miracles. Jesus is going to waste a miracle on this guy. I've got a headache that won't go away. Jesus, just forget him. <laughs> Help me out. That, that's paraphrased. I don't know that's in the Bible. But he comes before Jesus. Jesus says, hey, man, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord... Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right. You can almost hear Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Miracle time it is. All right. That's what you want? You want to see? All right. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Woo! (laughs) Now, you may not care because you weren't that blind guy. But let's just pretend for a second you were that blind guy. And your world has been nothing but utter darkness and despair 
and either frustration from people or pity from people, but you haven't felt love, you haven't seen sunshine, you haven't enjoyed anything that anybody else seems to be enjoying, and in one word from Jesus, boom, it's all fixed. The response was, instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Now what does that awesome miracle teach you and I about a kingdom mindset see Jesus was bringing a piece of the kingdom to earth for them to see hey there's no pain there's no sorrow there's no suffering when we enter into eternity with God we're going to get perfect bodies amen oh nobody else excited about that some of y'all sitting there staring at me like you've had you got a six-pack you don't have any aches or pains or gray hairs or any of that. I'm excited about bodies being made perfect, just so you know. And Jesus said, hey, there is, there is a place where all of that is gone. He's bringing a small piece of that miracle to the table right here. And what I see, what I see to get to this place to understand how the kingdom works, I see a man who is so broken, so heavy with what is wrong, that he will beg in front of everybody. Do you see a proud man standing there? Or do you see somebody so humbled? Remember we talked about one of the things that's going to take is the humility. I see somebody who is so broken, so burdened, so heavy that they will beg Jesus for a miracle. See, blessings start with begging i don't know how to explain it other than a lot of us aren't broken enough to beg god almighty to step in and help me now let me say it another way I'm, oh god i'm thinking i'm good i mean if you want to help me win the lottery i'd be cool with that or you know make things better i mean i could be a lot happier you're not begging you're not broken you don't understand that see a kingdom mindset takes me to the place where i can't do anything without you jesus jesus i'm begging you hey shut up you're embarrassing yourself you shut up jesus i'm begging you have mercy on me jesus there is something powerful for somebody to get to the end of themselves and recognize that god only god has what it takes to take care of you and that's where kingdom mindset starts. God, I'm begging you to show up in my marriage. God, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to help me out in this physical way, in this financial way, in this emotional way. God, I'm hurting. God, I can't do it anymore. God, I'm scared. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm confused. Do you understand the difference between that and like, well, you know, God, I'd really appreciate it. What does your prayer life look like? Hey, look at me. What does your prayer life look like? Dear God, uh, thank you for the food and uh, you know, make my problems go away. Amen. Or does it, dear God almighty, I don't have it in me. And only you, God, only you, will you help me, Lord God. When I come to the end of me, then I go, only you can do this. And then all of a sudden, my praise at church sounds a little different. I don't stand there during worship time going, yeah, God, God's good. You sit there and you go, I don't give a crap if you think my voice sounds bad. God, you know that the best thing I can do is just offer praise because all it is is up to you. Everything I got comes from you. Now all of a sudden I act a little different. When I get to the place of being a beggar, man, when I get to the place where my pride is gone, where I don't care what other people think, now I'm sold out. Now I'm, I'm ready to be somebody that goes on mission. I'm ready to look like the man or the woman that God has created to bring his kingdom here, to let others see. Now it looks a little different because I've gotten humble to the place that I'm begging. I'm begging God, I need something that I can't get for myself. See, my, my castle crumbles when I recognize that who has been sitting on the throne doesn't have the power to hold on to it. Amen and amen and amen. God, change me. Oh, to be as humble as a beggar. To say, God, all, everything I need comes from you. See, the disciples, they could see and they thought they understood everything. 
there's a story, another story where a woman comes begging Jesus for help with her demon-possessed daughter, and that's in Matthew 15. It says, Jesus didn't give her an answer right away. He didn't, he didn't respond to her, and the disciples urged him to send her away. The disciples actually tell Jesus, hey, tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all of her begging. That was the disciples' response. That's how the world understands begging. Begging is annoying. Begging is a burden. I would, I would submit that God doesn't look at our begging for help as a burden. He actually puts burdens in our life to lead us to beg. Let me ask it a different way. What burdens your heart so badly that you're willing to beg God Almighty in front of whatever it takes, in front of the people you have to climb over to say, God, I'm so burdened. Are you that burden for your town? Are you that burden for your family? Are you that burden for your children? Are you that burden for the lost co-worker who's going to split hell wide open if they were to die? How burdened are you? If it is a real burden, if it's a real brokenness, you don't, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't matter to you to beg. You don't have anything left other than begging. That's where those burdens come from. That's what happens. Well, I just don't know. I don't know if begging will work. Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking. He said, get desperate. Keep asking and you're going to receive it. Keep seeking and you're going to find it. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. Anyone who asks receives. Not right away. It might take a little time, but don't be so, don't be so proud that you, I asked once and it happened. Keep asking. It's not that God doesn't know how to do it or that God has to like build up his power. He might just be testing your patience. He might be growing your resolve. He might want to see if you quit at round one or two. He might be going, hey, I need you to have a little bit more. There's a little bit more perseverance. And then we'll get to a place where I'm going to start answering what you need me to answer. But he does say he'll do it. For anyone who asks, receives. Anyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I just, I don't know. Pastor, you're talking about some things that I just don't know if God wants to help me with. I, I've got, I made some mistakes. I've got some issues. I've got issues that other people in this room don't have. Yeah, we all do. Satan is the one that's whispering, God doesn't want to hear those. Don't beg God for that. Satan was so afraid that Jesus' power, that the kingdom of God might be revealed to all those bystanders, he was standing there whispering to the beggar, you're making a fool of yourself. Don't, you do, don't bother Jesus with that stupid thing. You deserve your blindness. You're this way because of some mistake that you made or your parents made. That's why you're broken and you're ugly. And then he's whispering to the people around him, tell that guy to shut up. Tell that guy not to bother Jesus. He is so afraid that Jesus' power might get displayed and that the kingdom might be a small glimpse revealed to the people around him. He does everything to quiet us. And so he whispers in our ear, you don't, don't go to God with that. God, God, God's annoyed with you. God is disgusted with you. Oh, God knows about what you did. Oh, you know why you have this problem? You know why you struggle this way? It's because that thing that you did, that thing that happened to you, that thing your parents did, all the stuff from your past, you don't get to ask God. He's just praying. He's hoping that you're so pulled back that you won't go before God. And that's why Hebrews says that you can go boldly before the throne of God. You can walk in to the throne room of God. The grace that he offers, you can do it boldly. Come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. There he will receive mercy, and he will find the grace to help us when we need it most. When I go begging before the king, he doesn't look down his nose at me. When I humble myself and say, God, I'm not a good enough dad, and I'm not a good enough husband, I'm not a good friend, I'm not a good enough, I'm not a good enough pastor, or I'm not a good enough boss, or a good enough brother, I'm not good enough, and I need you, I need you in this situation. I don't have the self-control, I, I don't have the strength, I don't have the forgiveness. God, help me. He doesn't go, I'm so embarrassed. It says that my father looks at me with grace. He says, I know, John. Oh, Josh, I've just been waiting for you to ask. I've just been waiting for you to ask. You can come boldly before me. I got something for you. Let me also just show you this. When he gets up to Jesus, 
When they drag him before Jesus, I think Satan was probably still whispering, don't you ask. Don't ask for your blindness. That's a big, too big a request. Just ask Jesus for a blessing. Just ask Jesus to give you a little bit of comfort. Maybe a few dollars. This guy's been shaking a cup, asking for some pocket change for a while. He's used to asking for that. When he gets up to Jesus, he decides, I'm going to ask for change, not for change. I need a change in who I am. I need to be different. I get, I get this encounter with the Son of God. I got to leave here different than I came in. And I'm not talking about saving a few coins or leaving here with a few extra bucks. That's a castle mentality. A castle mentality says, when I get to God, I'm going to ask for me. God, make my castle bigger. God, give me a bigger house. Make my kids obey me a little bit more. God, help my, my retirement grow. God, give me. That is a selfish castle castle mentality when you get before the king of kings the son of god you get before him and you ask for some real change you go before him and you understand that the bigger the god the bolder the prayer needs to be because if i'm standing before god listen to me when i stand before god i'm going to ask him for something that nobody else can give me i'm not going to get through the crowd i'm not going to beg and get up there and then go hey you got five bucks Hey, because you pat me on the head. Hey, because you hug me and make me feel better. Because every single person in that crowd could have done it. He got a chance to stand before the king. And he said, hey, I want you to do what only you can do. I'm going to start this whole message over. I don't feel like you guys are getting it. There's something... There's something that broke inside of me when I realized I was treating God like one of my buddies, like, God, you know, help me have a good day. Give me a little encouragement today if you could. Not that God can't do that. But he is the God of the universe. Ephesians says that if I can just get in my big, thick, stubborn, hard-headed skull of mine, that all glory goes to God who is able through the mighty power at work within us, check this out, to accomplish infinitely. Somebody say infinitely. That means there is no end to what God can accomplish more than I can ever ask or think. Let me think of the biggest, craziest, scariest miracle. And then God goes... I can top that. The God that I serve says when you get a chance to come before the king, get bold. Because the bigger my God is, the bolder my prayer becomes. Because in my power, or in the little God, little G power, the gods that I serve, the way I pursue money, or the, the God of my own, my own enjoyment, or my own pride, or my own pleasure the God of popularity with people around me, they can only offer me so much. But when I get before the big G God, I can dare to think of something that is kingdom-minded. See, when I think about my castle, I think about all the things that I want. But when I get a kingdom logic, I go, God, it doesn't matter what I want. What do you want for me? Now, hear me out. I'm not standing here today as the pastor of Harbor Church because I asked God, hey, I want to pastor a church. That's a horrible request. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I was going to ask for something, I'd ask for a Ferrari, okay? <laughs> it's Pastor Appreciation a Month. I just don't know if you know that. Ferrari, okay? I said, God, what do you want from me? Because if you give me one more year or a whole other century to live, what is it that my life can do to bring you honor and glory? You know, Joseph asked the same thing, and he got thrown into a prison. And God says, it honors me for you to be in that prison. Just interpret dreams for a while. Little did Joseph know that just keeping the mindset that it's not about him, it's about God, would get him elevated to becoming the second most powerful man on the face of the planet. But he had to get out of, God, what do I want? Because if I was Joseph, I'd be like, God, get me out of prison. God, give me a warm meal. 
and some friends and a clean place to sleep. And Joseph didn't say, they said, God, what do you have for me? And God says, I have for you to stay in prison for a while. And then I'm going to elevate you out of there. But your kingdom mindset sets aside all the selfishness and you start, you start asking for big, bold things. Like, God, turn my neighborhood upside down with your Holy Spirit. My grouchy neighbor, she needs Jesus. My atheist neighbor, he needs to encounter Jesus. My nephew, he needs to know Jesus. My grandmother, she thinks she knows Jesus, but she needs the real Jesus. And you start to pray things that you could never do. And then you watch what, how God shows up. God, I need you to show up in my finances because I can't make these things work out. God, the doctors say that this is impossible, but you're the great physician. I need you to show up in my health. God, I need you to change my heart because I hate that person and I know you've called me to forgive them. Those are the kind of prayers that begin to change when you become kingdom-minded. Last but not least, if you want to see clearly, you're going to have to surrender your castle. See, when the man gets healed by Jesus, what happens? When Jesus heals him, the guy doesn't go, thanks, peace, I'm out. Let's go back to the verse. Jesus says, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Verse 43, instantly the man could see that, and he followed Jesus, praising God. When I understand who God is and what he has for me to do, when I get to that point, I can now say, hey, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. The blind man doesn't get his sight and then go do whatever he wants. The blind man got his sight and he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. He got what he was, what he could never have assumed, what he could never have gotten for himself, what he'd only dreamed of. And he recognized that that could only come at the feet of someone greater than himself. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That encounter, hear me because I'm talking about you now. A real encounter with Jesus Christ will result in your castle dissolving and your heart to be for the kingdom. You will follow Jesus because you understand who Jesus is. If you're not following Jesus, I would submit you don't understand who Jesus is. And there's a lot of people claiming to be Christians, claiming to be believers, who are not actively following Jesus right now. Now maybe that's because you've never had a heart change, you've never had an interaction, you claim to. Oh, I've been praying for a while, okay. You've never had a real interaction with Jesus? Start there. And maybe you did, but maybe it's been a while and you've kind of drifted back to your castle. You said you were there, but then you kind of went back to castle building. This is for me and this is mine and this is what makes me feel safe and this is what I think will make me happy. See, he gets his sight back and he really starts to see clearly. If you want to see clearly, I'm not talking about physical sight anymore. This guy had his eyes opened on a spiritual level, not just a physical level. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed another blind man, and Jesus told him, hey, I entered into this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus is talking spiritually again. Jesus is talking to a man who he physically healed his blindness, and now Jesus is speaking to him on a spiritual level. He says, hey, I came to cure blindness. Not just your physical blindness. I came to cure spiritual blindness. I came to cure the people who think that they can see, but they actually can't. And guess who was listening? Some church people. It says the religious people, the Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him, and they asked, are you saying that we're blind? Jesus says, hey, if you were actually blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. See, it's that religious person who says, oh, I got it. I can see. I got it. I go to church. Pastor Josh, you're preaching to somebody that's actually in church. You know who needs this message? 
one of my friends. I was thinking about them this whole time. He says, you remain guilty because you claim that you can see and you don't understand you don't see anything. Matthew 6, says it this way. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. The way you see the world, the mindset that you have, if all you can see is the castle, if you think that everything about Jesus is about making you happy here on earth, that's easy, easy believism. That's a, a very popular American idea of Christianity, that if I love me some God, he's going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. The Bible doesn't promise that. And that mentality is a castle mentality. But when your eye is healthy, when you're seeing things clearly, you're, you're filled with light. And a person filled with light doesn't build a castle. They serve a kingdom. I think that's why we all need to have the prayer that the psalmist had in Psalms 119. Psalms 119, verse 18, the prayer was simply this. God, please God, open my eyes. He wasn't blind. The psalmist can see like most of you can see. He was talking on a spiritual level. God, open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful truths of everything you've got for me. Would you all stand with me? And I'd like you to stand in a moment of reverence, in a moment of prayer. So I'm going to ask you to stand and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to have a moment of, this is what we call an invitation. It's, it's, it's simply inviting you in the quiet of this moment, nobody looking around. Give everybody else a little bit of privacy just by closing your head and bowing your eyes. Would you take this moment and say, God, I need to see clearly. God, I need you to show me what it is I don't know to, to help me see the kingdom that you have for me, not the castle that I have for myself. So do this. Close your eyes. Now in the darkness, with your eyes closed, I want you to think about what it would look like to stay spiritually dark. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. Before you, before you open your eyes physically, I'm going to ask you in, the, in this dark moment, would you confess some of the other darkness that you have? Just in a quiet moment between you and God, he already knows. It's not an exercise to inform him it's good for you to admit in your soul that you have some darkness. If you, if you will confess your sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. So in this dark moment, if there's something standing between you and God, standing between you and a kingdom mindset, would you confess that? God, I've been building my own castle. I've been trying to praise myself. I've been trying to make myself happy. I've been pursuing things that my flesh wants, not that my spirit needs. God, I, I ask for your forgiveness. And God, when I open my eyes, would you help me not only see physically, but God, would you help me see spiritually in a new way? God, would you help me see my family members and my neighbors and my coworkers and my classmates and the, the random person in the grocery store, the, the person I bump into, would you help me see them the way that Jesus would have seen them? Would you help me look at the world in a kingdom mindset? Would you help me look at the world in the way that you see it, the way that, that you want for me to live? Whatever time you give me left, God, help me to see things differently. You don't have to say those exact words, but would that be your prayer right now in this moment? God, change my eyesight. God, take away my castle and give me a vision for your kingdom. God, forgive me of my selfishness. Forgive me of my arrogance. God, forgive me of all the castle building I've done in your name, in the name of Jesus. As you're in that state of prayer, I'm going to ask the, the band to sing the song we already sang. I'm going to ask them to, to remind us of what it is that we sang out loud. And maybe the last time we sang it, you didn't mean it. But when you get to that place where you say, all I want, God, is all that you are. I don't want my castle anymore. I want your castle, your kingdom. I want, I want your Holy Spirit to come here. 
There's a line that says, dry bones awaken. God, I need the old dead stuff in my life to come to life. I need, I need the old, the dead, the things that are rotten. I need, I need a, a renewed energy. I need a renewed spirit. I need a purpose. God, I need you to show up. God, I need you. I need you so bad. Would this be your prayer? God, I want you more than I want me. I want your kingdom, not me. You can, you can pray it. You can sing it. God, I ain't got it. God, I need you to show up. I'm begging you. Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see more than I want anything else. I want you. God, I need you. Help me. Don't let me walk out of here without you, God. God, help me. I'm begging you, Jesus, for something new. Would you sing that out? Would you pray that? Would this be your words? Come on, church. God is here right now. He wants to do something in your life. Will you let him? In this moment, we need to declare, God, I'm not enough unless you come. I can't heal myself. I can't heal my marriage. I can't heal my, my issues. I can't get over my addictions. I can't let go of my anxiety. I can't get over my depression. I can't see what tomorrow holds. But God, if you're here, if you come, then I can have it. Then I'll know, God. Let's sing, I'm not enough. If we can get to that place where we say, God, without you, I ain't got it. God, without you, I can't do it. Would this be yours? Sing it out. Worship. Lift your voice. Pray. Whatever you got to do. Beg God to meet you here in this moment. forgotten me I know you've got better for me God wake me up do something today God help me come on inviting you, Lord Jesus, to be in this place. God, we are not enough. Lord, we recognize even in the light of a, of a story about a, a simple beggar receiving sight that we are so, so desperate. We need you so much more than anything this world offers. God, I, I feel your Holy Spirit in this room, Lord. I, I, I pray that you 
would change hearts. God, not by any words that I could say or any song that we could muster, but God, because the Holy Spirit wants so much more for us than we could want for ourselves. So Lord, we lay all of this down at your feet. Lord, would we be the kind of people that are sold out for your kingdom? God, would we be the kind of church that sees and desires you moving in your kingdom to be built more than we desire what we can get for ourselves? God, in this moment, we, we ask for forgiveness for the times that we are looking out for ourselves. God, we ask for forgiveness for the times we we crave our castle. We try to take for us. God, forgive us for being the kind of church, the kind of people that put you second or third or fourth. God, forgive us for any time that you're not number one. Lord, I pray over every person under the sound of my voice that not only would we beg you for some big prayer, some big change, God, we also beg you to use us with whatever little time we have left, with whatever time, whatever talents, whatever treasure, whatever testimony you'll give us, God, we beg you to let us be kingdom-focused. Let us see what it is you see. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit fills the lives of the people under the sound of my voice, that we would see your impact. We would see the change that only Jesus Christ can bring. We would see it in our families and in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our schools, in our communities. God, we would see you and only you. Lord, we ask this and we pray this and we claim this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.